I don't know if these kind of Bibles were popular in Scotland, the United Kingdom, but when I was growing up, for a while, there were what were called red-letter Bibles, where they would put the words of Jesus, particularly in the Gospels, in red letters. Now, my father was very active in our discipleship and growing up, and I never had a red letter Bible because my father said, all the words in the Bible are God's words, not just the ones in red. See, when I look at this passage here and see the quote that starts in verse 5, when Christ came into the world, he said, There are a few places in the New Testament where Christ is quoted. One of the passages is in Acts when Paul is leaving the Ephesian church and he is pleading for them to be merciful to those who are in need. And he says, for Jesus said it is better to give than to receive. But this passage here Is about himself, and we're going to look at that in a moment. But the, the context, and this would have been something that would have just jumped out at uh, Hebrew people. The context is at the end of verse 3, but in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. The Day of Atonement that big day when once a year you had this communal service of repentance and acknowledgement of sin. Priests had to confess their sins publicly. Leaders of families had to. Individuals did. Now, there were sacrifices during the year for sin, but this was the big one. This was where you took the goat and... I always find it interesting that it was a goat, not a sheep, that got taken outside the, the camp. Because they knew that blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And so that the Day of Atonement is the shadow of the cross. Now when you look at verse 1, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come. Now it's interesting how different commentators interpret that. See, when I think of a shadow, I think of being outside and seeing the shadow come from the sun. I know that when I sit on my, my back porch in Georgia, I can, I can see the sun move across in its shadow across my, the roof line on the house. John Calvin talks about the use of shadow by painters. He says, you know how when you, you look and you can see, and you see an object that is very clear, but then you see this shadow because of the light. And that's one of the, the technical skills that painters need to have is to be able to create a shadow, whether it's from the sun coming through a window, whether it's from 
candelabra, whether it's from an individual candle, that shadow. And see, last week we talked about copies. This week we're talking about a shadow. All of them assume the realities of what is said in the last part of verse 10. They're a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. See, that's one of the weaknesses that the writer of Hebrews reminds us, that repetitive sacrifices never got the job done. And as we read that, we need to realize that there's nothing in our efforts that can help make our sins go away. You see, what one of the things that the writer is, is reminding us week after week for us is that Christ is the only way. And notice in verse 2 when it's talking about the worshipers. See, it has to do with not being the consciousness of, of sins, of that you don't have to be weighed down by your sins because of Christ. The old sacrifices were reminders, it says, of our sins. Now, in our worship service, we remind ourselves, we use the word of God to confess our sins, and then we use the word of God to hear the assurance of pardon. And see, the introduction of Psalm 40 comes in verse 4, when it says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then he introduces Christ. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, and I'm going to read the whole thing and then come back to one part, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you take no pleasure. Three times in that poetry, you have repeated the ideas that are expressed in verse 4. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. See, to replace all of that, to do it once for all, you have this, this simple confession, the simple words of Christ, but a body you prepared for me. We have read again and again about the understanding that Jesus Christ had as the high priest, as the sacrifice, that God had given him a body to be sacrificed. We remember in the Gospels how when he is going towards Jerusalem at the end of his life, he says three times that um, I'm going up to be handed over, to be crucified. You know, it, it keeps, the closer you get to Jerusalem, the more he expands on this idea of self-sacrifice. He understands what is going on. And here, taking the words from Psalm 40, 
a technical point of what we're looking at. One of the things that commentators remind us of is that the writer of Hebrews was very familiar with both the Hebrew Old Testament and the Greek Old Testament. The Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, was the first translation of the Bible. It's done 200 years before Christ. It was so that the Greek-speaking um, Jews in Egypt would have something in their language. And so when you read this and you look at it and you look over in your English Bibles and you go, wait a minute, that's not what Psalm 40 says. This is an actual translation of the Greek one. These are the words probably that Christ would have spoke to his generation but yet he says, a body you have prepared for me. See, in these words, Christ acknowledges that I've come to die. I've come to be a sacrifice. I've, I've come to take somebody else's place. Now, that idea is there at the very beginning of the book of Hebrews. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And in verse 5, For to whom did the angels ever say, You are my son today, I have begotten you. But then there's that passage in Hebrews 2, um, beginning of verse 17. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for their sins, of the people, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. See, again and again, we're reminded that when Christ died on the cross, he went voluntarily, he went knowingly, he was a substitute, he was a sacrifice. You know, one of the things that Christian pastors are a reminder of is, you know, don't use jargon. Don't use words that people don't understand. And so what I have to do is I have to stop and say, okay, here's, here's what that means, that it's a substitutionary sacrifice. Now, most of us know what a substitute is. You watch rugby, soccer, I think, do they do substitutes in cricket? Shinti, you know what it means that one player goes in, one player comes out. That's a substitute. But you see, I can't be my own sacrifice for my sin. I have to have somebody who is perfect, voluntarily sacrifice and die because the, the penalty of sin is death. But Christ says, I will go. Christ says here, a body you have prepared for me. And, you know, that to me has the echoes of Abraham and Isaac, uh, that God the Father prepared a body for God the Son to die on the cross. 
He's raised up by the Holy Spirit. That a body you have prepared for me. Now look at how our text in verse 7 ends. Now, then I, meaning Christ, because he's still quoting from Psalm 40, said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So you have Jesus Christ saying, it's what's been written has been written about me. I'm the body, I'm the one. And so we have the words of Christ, we have the words of Scripture. I've come to do your will. If we want to know what the will of God is, it's going to be in the Word of God. When we think about the the Word of God working in our lives, it's there because the Spirit of God uses the Word of God. A body you have prepared for me, I have come to do your will, O God, and this is written of me in the scroll of the book. See, one of the things that's unique about Christianity is our relationship to Scripture through the writings. And see, the will that I'm going to do, and when I want to follow Christ and be in communion with Christ, he's in me, I'm in in him, I've come to do your will, that is what Scripture is all about. It's not me writing my own script, it's not me writing my own screenplay, it's, you know, I've come to do your will. That's why I have a body. That's why Christ had a body. Every Sunday we celebrate the resurrection. Every Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection, the resurrection reminds us that his sacrifice has been forgiven. That one-time sacrifice. Each Sunday we're reminded that he was raised from the dead. Now he's only raised from the dead once. But we remember that event. When we think about our lives. And the more I read about modern people, the more I understand about how shame and guilt paralyze people. How shame and guilt create loneliness. Or there's the other side of shame and guilt that that creates arrogance, to hide it, to, to try not to let people see them. To create a false image of who they are. But you see, this passage in reminding us that the the death of Christ works on our conscience so I do not have shame and guilt overpowering me. I remember when I was a uh, sophomore in college and Francis Schaeffer came to Covenant College and he introduced me to the idea that I have worked on, thought about, expanded and 
everything, that the difference between what he called true guilt and then false guilt, which he pushed towards shame, because he says the problem with shame is you can't get rid of it, but you can get rid of guilt. And see, guilt is the roots, it's the bog, it's the more, it's whatever that shame grows out of. And so if your sins are forgiven because Jesus died on the cross for you and has adopted you through the Holy Spirit, that you are a child of God, that that takes away the shame. It reminds you who you are in Jesus Christ. But I'm going to end with the last part of verse 5 again. All of this, the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, all of this happened. But a body you have prepared for me. That verse welds together Christmas and Easter. The incarnation and the atonement. He paying for our sins, being a propitiation to do away with the wrath of God. And because you've been forgiven, tomorrow morning you can wake up and with Jesus you can say, verse 7, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written of me in the scroll of the book. God wants good things for you. He wants you to accomplish them and do them. Because that's why he's given you your body. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as these ancient words, as these words from the psalmist, the words from Christ, the words from the writer of Hebrews, these scriptures, that indeed they would shape our lives, our aspirations, our understandings. We know that we can't do it by ourselves. We pray that you would pour out your spirit to help us understand scripture. We pray these things, Jesus, in your most holy name. Amen.